Welcome to the Agricultural Economics Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Eyes, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ken Foster, head of the Department of Agricultural Economics. How are you, Ken? Doing great, Jessica. How are you? I'm doing very well. Yeah, anything exciting happening these days? Recovering from a cold. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's that time of year. We're all struggling with Mother Nature and trying to make the best. Indeed. And, um, you know, you can't enjoy uh, summer unless you live through this Indiana winter. <laughs> winter, yes. <laughs> it just makes summer that much more enjoyable when it arrives. Yes. Well, our, our guest today is Dr. Tom Hurdle, who's the Executive Director of the Center for Global Trade Analysis and a wonderful professor here in our department. I had the privilege of auditing one of his classes last oh, yeah. year. I loved it. Uh, and a lot of people will recognize the Global Trade Analysis Project, which is housed in his center, the mm-hmm. GTAP project. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Tom? Good, good. Busy. Yes. <laughs> um, and just had the class this morning that you referred to, that you participated mm-hmm. in last semester. That's a lot of fun. What I topic really did you it. cover? We were on water today. Ah, great topic. So it's a good topic. Lots yes. of dimensions to water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, you just launched, kicked off a new journal. What's the name of that journal? So this is the Journal of Global Economic Analysis and it is housed in the Center for Global Trade Analysis, and it's an open source journal so that anyone can access that for free anywhere in the world. It's a journal that comes complete with the software and data needed to replicate all the studies there, so we think it will have a big impact on the community of people undertaking global economic analysis. And how many people reside uh-huh. in that community right. of global trade So analysis? we have about 15,000 people profiled and maintaining active membership in the network. There's an annual conference and short courses, and this is a group that also contributes to a shared global economic database. That's really at the core of our common interest is a database that describes the way the world economy is connected. But people that aren't connected with that network can also submit their work to this journal, right Tom? That's right. That's why it's got a broader name, Journal of Global Economic Analysis. So <clears throat> that's a community that we found there was a natural, anytime you start a journal you need a natural clientele and we think that's a group that will be naturally interested in this journal. Uh, a lot of it does leverage things about the GTAP database, various GTAP models, contributors to that, but it is a broader journal and it's intended to focus on all, all aspects, quantitative analysis of global economic issues. This is a very big and simple question. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to analyze global trade? What do we get out of that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Of course, it's in the news right now. There was talk about having a 20% tariff on Mexican imports, and that sounded like a great idea to those people trying to raise money until they were informed by people who do quantitative analysis of these issues of the global supply chains underpinning North America, for example, the North American auto industry. They discovered that this would add $1,000 to every car produced in the U.S., which would of course, devastate our competitive position. So the reason we're competitive in the auto industry is that there is global economic integration, especially regional economic integration within North America. So understanding these relationships is really important if you want to make informed public policy decisions. Decisions that impact all of us, even us here in Indiana. Absolutely. So it's $1,000 more for the car, next car you want to buy. No, thanks. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> well, those European-made cars are starting to look more attractive now, aren't they? And Japanese-made cars, right? So it changes the formula.
it seems wholly incomprehensible for me to launch a journal. Right. So where does that idea come from and what drives it? And you just wake up one morning like, I'm going to start a journal. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think uh, one of the things that got me thinking about it first was interactions with some of the contributors to what a technical paper series that we started probably more than 20 years ago. And this series was really largely focused on the GTAP community, which at that time was quite small. And it was a series of papers, as it's indicated, technical papers designed to provide building blocks for people wanting to analyze issues like the auto trade in North America or livestock trade or any other aspect. These at the time, trade agreements that were being written left and right. So to build those building blocks, we needed People need data and modeling tools and analytical techniques. These technical papers laid out those. And so they were a lot like journal articles, but they were longer. And they came with all the computer code needed to replicate the work in the paper. So they really became building blocks. Unfortunately, most of the journals out there in economics, you read the paper, it sounds like a brilliant idea, but the data and modeling tools are not accessible. And there's no attempt to replicate what was in the paper or to make that readily available for others. So that's not really a building block. It's an intellectual building block, but not a firm foundational building block. So the technical paper series was very effective. And as people started to contribute more to that, young assistant professors, for example, they asked, well, what's the impact factor? That's the coin of the realm now in academia. Impact factors in the good economics journals are maybe two. 2.5. The impact factor of this series, technical paper series, that we were starting to track was 12.5. So oh, wow. Huge impact factor. Oh. And these folks said, well, gee, can I use that in my promotion packet? Well, it was peer-reviewed. It has an impact factor. They started doing that, and we realized, gee, we have a gem here. Impact factors are something journals fight tooth and nail for. We should leverage this into a journal that has broader participation. So it happened organically, really. It grew sure. from this, and the stage was perfectly set. It was. We didn't realize what we had. We didn't realize that until people kind of started telling us, whoa, that's a big impact factor. That's an important, in this case, technical paper series. But technical paper series, that seems kind of insider baseball, especially it's the GTAP technical paper series. So the journal was an attempt to broaden this community while maintaining some of that core base. So we're in the process of building up enough of a reputation. We need a certain track record in order to get indexed by the major science indices and where they'll start to formally track and publish this impact factor in a more Great. complete way. I have to ask, Tom, where did your conviction and drive towards open source come from? The whole project has been, the GTAP project and these 15,000 people has grown out of that kind of philosophy. When the project was started, we were very much in the closed source world. People didn't share things unless they had to. The funding agency required or exhausted all the value. The database is 10 or 20 years old. The, the, who cares now? You know, Share that. So the economists tended to keep things close to their chest until it had no more value to them. And that was a real limitation. It kept the community from building up. So the GTAP approach was not only publish the model, but 
bring people here to Purdue for courses, teach them how to use it, give them a database to use, and elevate their game. And through that, we've all benefited. So rather than somehow robbing me of publications, I found it much easier to publish things because there is a community out there who's receptive, who are journal reviewers, who are interested, and there's a greater appreciation for this work, and it attained a much higher level of credibility. So open source, opening things up, allowing more people to use it. Turns out it elevates everyone's game. And with the journal, when we started looking into journals and looking at their publishing model, it is to assemble the largest group of journals they can and then sell these to libraries as a family of journals. Mm -hmm. It's quite expensive and that would limit since a large number of that 15,000 individuals are not in universities and they're not in universities in the rich countries, they don't have access to these journals, Elsevier, Springer, whatever. And so we opted to do it open source, in-house. You can have, with Elsevier or Nature, you can have your journal published open source, but you have to pay several thousand dollars to do that, get that one article out there, free for anyone to access. So this model is everything is available to everyone and they free to download and that's the idea. So it's been a more of a burden on the editors and the center to some degree to provide this, but we think it's important enough. It fits within our mission and the board is supportive of that. So we have gone forward with this and published two issues so far. Well, I love that idea. Given the nature of my work in communications, yeah, I love the yeah, idea of yeah. putting the science out there and making it open. Right. So kudos to you, Tom. So how's the journal going, Tom? What's the status today? The second issue came out in December, and so the first issue in June, right before our annual conference, which took place at the World Bank in Washington. So we released it and then had that gave a bit of a build-up to it. In that first issue, there were some very important pieces kind of charting a new way forward in terms of thinking about international trade in the context of individual firms, not countries, but firms trading, and that enriches the analysis greatly. So the two lead pieces were on those theoretical developments and how they can be brought into this framework, how they can be brought into analysis of the North American auto industry, for example. So that's the first issue. There are three components, theoretical developments, advances in theory and methods, advances in data, parameters, that's key for these models to have credible parameters, estimated credible data, and advances in software. So building blocks, we all live and die with our software, and there are many people in this community who actually are brilliant software people, one of them sitting just downstairs <laughs> one floor here, and on their hard drive is all kinds of useful stuff that others could benefit from. And so that third section is all about getting that useful stuff off of these individual hard drives, and they're happy to, to share it. And so that software is another component of this. And we're anticipating a fourth component, pedagogical pieces, to help people better learn and teach work in this type of analysis. Tom, if people are interested in checking out this journal, where can they find it? There's a very simple URL. It's www and then jgea.org, Journal of Global Economic Analysis.org. So JGEA is enough <laughs> to get you in there. And, um, Great. And it, it brings it up. You can look at these first two issues and you can potentially, well, certainly become a reader, potentially a contributor, and we welcome all comers. Thank you so much. Again, this is Dr. Tom Hurdle joining us today. We're so grateful to have you here to talk about this new journal. Again, this is the Agricultural Economics Podcast 
at Purdue University here with Jessica Eyes and Dr. Ken Foster. So you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or check us out on the web at www.agecon.purdue.edu. Thank you.